You are listening to the Anagram Journey Podcast with the Anagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and today's guest is Marlena Graves, a.k.a. the Velvety Firecracker. She is the author of the latest released book from the Anagram Daily Reflections by University Press, 40 Days on Being an Anagram 9. Today, you're going to hear about her orientation to time being the past. How does she protect her energy? You're going to hear plenty about her eight wing and being a part of that gut and justice triad. Uh, what does it mean to have a slow fuse? We'll hear about nines and anger. She makes a Henry Nowen reference, which I know Suzanne loved. And she is married to a five, so we're going to hear about that nine-five relationship. And then finally, what is a good spiritual practice for nines? After listening, if you were saying to yourself, where can I get my hands on one of those books? You can find the Enneagram Daily Reflection series uh, at ivpress.com, on Amazon, of course. And we've got a few copies ourselves at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. And when you're there looking at that at lifeinthetrinityministry.com, LTM is continuing to offer online teaching sessions. If you missed the two-night event with Suzanne grieving in the Enneagram, you can still catch the replay until mid-March. And you can go ahead and find information and register for prayer in the Enneagram with the Reverend Joseph Stabile and Suzanne. It's going to be incredible. Again, you'll get that information at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. Now, let's give it up for the Velvety Firecracker and the Enneagram Godmother. How you doing? Good. I just got out of teaching a class and, uh, you know, roll right into this. So it's good. Yeah. What'd you teach? I uh, teach women's studies. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, um, you know, I've, it's not my area like I of expertise, but, you know, we all get assignments. Sure. So I'm like, hey, I'll take it. I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This probably doesn't fall under women's studies, but I was super bummed yesterday. Yesterday was National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Oh, yeah. And it just kind of came and went. Yeah, oh, no. yeah, that would fall under it. We were just okay. talking about women in sports and representation. And, yeah. I was so excited. Know, I shared pictures of my girls playing their sports, and I, I got the opportunity to talk to the associate head coach of the University of Georgia women's basketball team yesterday. Wow. And yeah. That's and, all it. Yeah, that's part of it for sure. Marlena, do you know I was the first women's basketball coach at SMU after Title IX? No, we just talked about Title IX on Tuesday. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was a journey. It was a journey. Oh, that is so cool. And so, uh, Joel, your daughter's following in grandma's the, footsteps? The oldest one, Gracie, plays basketball. And then uh, Jolie, who's nine, she plays soccer. But she's interested in trying basketball again. She had a bad basketball experience when she was younger. Yeah. She's she's a monster. They put her, it wasn't my choice, two grades up. She was a first grader playing with third graders. Mm -hmm. She just didn't have a great experience. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I have an eight-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a six-year-old. So my 13-year-old tried out for the basketball team this year. She made it. She's never played, you know, so she's not starting, but... I'm just told I'm proud of her for making it the eighth grade team and she plays soccer. Thank you. Yeah. We have nine grandchildren and Aww. all of the ones that are old enough to be in sports are in some sport. So I, f I feel like I did all right. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, Marlena, welcome to our podcast. The first thing that I'd like to say is that um, editing this series was a real gift for me. And there were highlights in each of the books. But tell everybody about yourself before we start to talk about your writing and your journey and your spiritual musings. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to say. I have a lot of interest, but really not. Um, currently, I'm in a PhD program in American Culture Studies at Bowling Green State University. I've been wanted to go to school probably for 10 years, but I couldn't do that. And I had two girls, um, my youngest daughters in that period, and it just, I couldn't do that. Um, but I just started um, this fall, uh, past fall of 2020. So it was a dream of mine that God accomplished because I feel that my calling as a, a Christian is to help form the leaders and lay leaders in the church. And uh, so I needed to take that next step in order to do that. I'm an adjunct professor at a seminary, teach spiritual formation and evangelism and discipleship at Weinbrenner Seminary as an adjunct. And I have three daughters, 13, eight, and six. My husband, Sean's a philosophy professor. He's an Enneagram five and uh, we get along really well. Uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. I think we're mind mates. I, you would say like mind mates, we could have great conversations and yeah, I can say more about that if it comes up. But uh, So we live in uh, right outside of Toledo, Ohio. I love beauty. I love wisdom. Um, and I would say I'm probably a, I don't know, typical or atypical nine. I, I, I want to bring peace into my environment and among other people. Um, I'm trying to think a lot of times I say I was born very poor. I was born in Puerto Rico and there's poverty in my family. So I think I look at the world maybe from the bottom up or, you know, from, and then I have like those privileges and things that people have. And I didn't realize how poor I was until I was at a Christian college among more middle-class people. And then I started to realize, oh, I guess this, my experience is not typical of everyone's. That's really interesting to me because Joe, my husband, you know, is a Methodist pastor. And he says uh, eloquently that uh, he thinks Jesus knew that it's easier for the poor to hear the gospel mm -hmm. than for others. And he's preached on that a number of times in the 35 years that I've been listening to him preach. And I, I do think there's something about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Might be because we have no networks or anything to lean on, no money, no power, mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm going to speak against injustice or what, I'm like, what do I have to lose? Right. <laughs> I don't have any position to lose. Yeah. I'm not saying just that. And I think, you know, myself, I've been so needy for Jesus my whole life. I've needed him for so much um, that, you know, I haven't been able to get through without him. And so I don't know if it's like, you know, there are several reasons I'm sure, but I, um, in my last book, the way up is down. I was very struck too about, how Jesus chose to become poor, be born poor. He didn't have to be poor. And so that's um, interesting that you say that and that your husband preaches that because I, I, I think there's something to that for sure. He says where he learned it, he uh, did a dual master's degree program and he has a master's degree in Spanish. No. When you said 
Abuelita earlier. I was like, oh, I'm so glad the Reverend's not here to hear this. Hey, I did all right with that, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> and he said in his six years in studying in Mexico, hmm. he really learned about a different way of hearing the gospel as opposed to being in theology school in Chicago. That's beautiful. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you did better than anybody's ever done in my experience in reading and reading people when I knew their number is I wish I could just condense all the things that you said that teach an Enneagram nines, orientation to time being the past. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get some pushback from nines who say, I'm not sure that's true. And I've been teaching the Enneagram long enough that if you're a nine, I know it's true. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely do such a great job of connecting the past to Mm -hmm. today. So one way you do that is talking about your childhood as a little girl and talking about your little girls. Mm-hmm. Can you address my saying that you're so good at knowing or at addressing the fact that your orientation of time is the past? Well, I will defer to the expert, but I do, I actually was thinking about this yesterday. Um, and maybe you'll have some insight for me as we speak. Uh, but I, w- I was thinking that I, like the past is all, I know, or that I think I know, right? At least my memory of it. And so I'm really interested in history, like all sorts of history, church history. I'm learning about um, African-American history and slave history in the United States. But to me, that is the framework or the genesis for what we have today. And in my own life, I can't even understand myself if I don't understand my past, because my past is what gives me direction. It doesn't mean that, um, that I have to go according to the past, but I can understand myself and maybe why I think about the way the things, why I think the way I do, what my posture and orientation is based on the past. Um, and that's how I make sense of the world. Um, cause I relate it back to that. Um, and so this is what I know. Um, as you know, like I, I need to work on being present. And I think I've gotten a lot maybe better at that than I was when I was younger. But um, I think, you know, at least for me, and like you say, Enneagram nines, the the past sets the trajectory. You don't have to stay on that maybe, you know, if if it's, I don't know, like you're not condemned to your past. Like people talk about having maybe kind of a different kinds of a, abuse or substance abuse. And therefore I'm going to be that not necessarily, I I would say no uh, with God's help. Right. But I think it's helpful. And um, yeah, just thinking about my little girls, you know, I try to tell them, you know, just say, you know, what you see now is not necessarily how it always was. Or, you know, I was talking about how um, my husband's like, yeah, we didn't have cell phones in college or high school. So I think, yeah, I think to answer your question, I would say you're right. It's right about me. And you met many, probably more nines than I have and counseled. And I don't claim to be the expert, but I would say that that's how I orient my life. Um, That's my framework. Yeah. And did I hear this right? So you kind of said that the past gives you direction Mm -hmm. that 
I've never heard orientation to to time described that way. I never have either, but boy, we're going to start the truth. using it yeah. right now. Because the, for me, the future <laughs> gives me direction. Where do I want to go? Mm-hmm. And so that gives me direction. And for ones, twos, and sixes, yeah, we'll let you talk to it. But we got all three stances here. Yeah. That what's what's happening right now, the present, is the direction that you're going to go in. Absolutely. That's a great way to see it. Yeah. You know, I've been uh, dealing with, uh, for the last couple of weeks, with a uh, meeting with a woman who has experienced some significant trauma, uh, mm. an adult uh, aggressive number woman. And um, I'm so mindful that trauma can become really defining if you don't have a place to put it mm. in mm-hmm. past, present, future. Yeah. And you write beautifully. I'm, oh, I'm really you. hope everybody will read your book because you write beautifully about the past and about how, and here's my language, about how it informs the present. Yes, yes that's great. It does. That's a good word. And um, so I'm just tipping my hat to that and saying, you talk about being oriented to the past better than I ever will. So people who don't get that need to read this. You talked about maybe the words weren't putting off, but putting off school because of, children and the Mm -hmm. timing and that story sounds very similar to my sister Jenny who's a nine she she did kind of the same thing and it just made me think about having space for everyone to do everything on their own time so my question is is that like the nine move to do is like you know I've got this and I can put off my thing until later I do want to do this and with a support system, I will, whereas other numbers possibly would be like, I'm having a kid and I'm going to do this and we'll figure out about, is that a nine move of, I want to do this, but I'm going to wait and I'll come back to it. Whereas other numbers are, I want to do this and I'm going to do it or other numbers. I want to do this and I'm not going to do it. Yep. So the, the only Reference point I'd put around that, Marlena, before you share with us your experience, is that I, I'm fascinated for us to talk about that in terms of your work with women's studies and it being a, a different choice for female nines than for male nines with hmm. the assumptions that if you are putting off going to school because of children, then the person who puts it off will generally be the woman. Mm-hmm. Not always. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not I'm not putting any value judgment on that as good or bad. I'm just saying that that's the cultural norm that we're mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and not everybody has ways to look outside of that. So, from a nine perspective, a woman who did it, a women's studies perspective, and a woman who's gifted in spiritual um, development and all of that, just teach Joel and me, and we'll just sit right here and listen. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I think part. I, maybe you can say, shake your head. Yes, this is nine. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in this. I'm interested. You know, it took me a long time. My, like I said, my husband's a philosophy professor. Five. He knew. I think that he asked me. He's like, do you think I should be a philosophy professor or an English professor? When he was a senior in college, when we were in college, I'm like, do philosophy. It's cooler, you know but he was a double major in English and philosophy, but he just, 
went straight through and got done. You know, I helped support him. He's always been very supportive of me. Um, but I was like, I, I had all these different things in my mind. Like, you know, I really feel like I need to go to school again. So I got a master's of divinity at seminary, Northeastern seminary. And then after that, that was in 2007, I had my first daughter who's now 13. And when I have children, like I'm like on bed rest the whole time, I can barely move. I almost hemorrhage with my last daughter. Like the doctor said to me, you cannot have any more children. Your body's allergic to children. Like it's bad for me. I think it's good that I lived in the United States. I don't know if I would have survived otherwise. And in this time, um, childbirth. So I, so I was physically put out, but it, I think what took so long, I had to work through a lot of like messages that people get in the church. Like one of them was figuring out what I was interested in. Like, like okay, I like spiritual formation. I like history. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and I'm very interested in justice for the marginalized, um, especially with immigration and race. And so like, how does that all go together? And another part of it was that um, just some kind of what we've seen in this culture now, like in the last four years or five, like everyone's like exploded and everyone's polarized. And we were at a school where some fundamentalists took over. And right when I was ready to go to school, like, and after I had uh, before I had my third daughter, I was ready to go to school, but we had to move due to what happened. And my husband's like, yeah, go to school, go to school. I'm like, yeah, but if I apply, for example, to the University of Dayton in theology, what if you get a job in Seattle? I'm not going to be able to carry that out. So I put it off. And then we, our third daughter was a surprise. Of course, we love her. Uh, she's wonderful. But, you know, she was a surprise because of my issues. And so I was wiped out again. And then when I really figured out what I wanted to do, I'm like, I don't think I live close to any schools that have that. So, you know, the nine, like trying to nine to, we tend to merge with other people. And I, for the longest time, I had to figure out what, what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and what I was interested in, mm-hmm. but then combined with life issues. And I did put it off for a while because like my husband, Sean, he didn't tell me to put it off. He's, I can't even emphasize how supportive he is. People are shocked by our egalitarian, I guess, marriage we have. They're like, really? He takes care of the kids. You don't have to do anything or leave any notes. No, nope. he knows exactly what to do. Yep. Um, we had that too. I have yeah. that too. You and me, oh. girl. It's yeah, that's thing. awesome. Yeah. And so while um, we're all being in solidarity about yeah, things you had it too. Yeah. That um your surprise third daughter, I was born holding the contraceptive. So yeah. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. Just wanna as soon as I people it, don't believe me when I tell that. That's absolutely true. You had an IUD in your hand. So that's how <laughs> wow. I do. The other thing that, I, the aggressive other, numbers. Yes. The other thing I would say though, I thought you were gonna say <laughs> is that in your home you and Whitney do the same thing that Marlena and John do and that Joe and I do. We're, we're all three couples who kind of have that worked out. Oh, I love it. And I, yeah, I, I think more and more couples have that worked out. And I, so I'm going to tip my hat to those who do and kind of say, you know, you can figure it out. You, mm-hmm. you don't have to do either or thinking in family life. So I'm, I'm yeah. done preaching about that. I don't think we've ever said publicly, by the way, that you were born. We have now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. All right. Guess what's not being edited out. <laughs> okay, Marlena. 
back to, do you even know what you were saying before that little moment? <laughs> no, I think so. But you were talking about, so I'm, I don't, I'm not at a dissertation stage, but I'm interested in like, I think right now as of this broadcast, you know, the role women have played in the church yep. in um, like doing social issues for the good. Cause usually women are uh, erased and like what religious women have done in America for immigration or race or there's a lot more about like the right to vote. Sure. Um, so yeah, traditionally there's messages. It's like, well, you're not a good woman, wife, person, if you don't stay home and have your children. I know that's changing now. Um, in some I churches. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't have been able to do any of this now. I even going to school now without my husband's help. And, you know, I don't, it's, I don't have babysitters or whatever. So he's, um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't have been able to do it without Sean. So I guess it took me a while to say, you know what, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. I would be burying my talents if I didn't. And I'm not going to be apologetic about it. There you go. And it might, um, you know, it might rock some people's boats, ideological boats, but that's where I'm going. So, yeah. What's the most challenging thing for you about being a nine? Well, I think I would say two things, Suzanne, you talked about, um, in the, uh, in your book, the road back to you about nine eights being very conflicted. And I think I'm a nine eight. Yep. Like if someone attacks others, the vulnerable, like in person or on social media, I have a history in my, you know, non-social media life and in social media, I'll be like, no, you can't do that to them. And I have no qualms about saying, you know, that's wrong or what you're doing is wrong or, um, you know, like a men, how do I say, I'm trying to say this and be careful of a certain denomination in the United States will say and do things. They might be the president of this, whatever. And I'm not interested in attacking people or making them look bad. I do not want to bring people down, but I do, I will say like, you know, you're not addressing these abusive issues or you're, you're doing harm to people because I know people that are being harmed because of the ideas that are being promulgated. And I feel like I need to speak up kind of like the Bible talks about the prophet or Jeremiah, like the fire in my bones. Right. And I don't speak up just because I want to see my name or whatever. It's just, I, as we said about, um, we talked about earlier, I got nothing to lose, right? Yep. I, I'm not in this and I guess I'm in a good spot right now, but I've been in that area where well, I can't say something because my employer, I don't even think I say anything wrong or mean. Sure. It's just blatant injustices and people don't speak out because they'll make donors mad or they'll make someone else mad and they just stand by. And so I'll do that. But then I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like, was I kind in saying it? Would it be something I say in person? Would I say this in person? I'm like, yes, okay. But, um, and I have said things in person, but then sometimes I think, oh, I don't like putting myself out there, like conflict, right? I don't like, I want to make you sure do, that the person knows I'm not attacking them and whatever. So there's always this kind of conflict. Like, do I go with like the nine and not rocking the boat or maybe the eight that's just like, hey, this is wrong. And so I feel that constant conflict. And I think the other thing about being a nine, I think that's something we talked about that you, uh, some editorial feedback that you gave me is 
I realized actually in writing the book and in the feedback that you gave, just the energy level. And I think you said to me that, I don't know if you called me an atypical nine and that, you know, I'm doing this, 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 but I'm starting to really pick up on things that make that sap my energy. And I know nines are typically low energy um, because you're trying to make peace around you. And maybe you have something to say, uh, Suzanne, about that. And so now I'm paying attention, you know, more to my body and it's, oh, I'm just tired out or my mind, I'm tired out, you know, and some people call me, they've called me superwoman. I'm like, no, like you, you're just saying that because, you know, I have tons of laundry that I need to do that's not done, Mm -hmm. you know, and I got to pick up, I sacrifice certain things. uh, And not that I'm the only one that needs to do laundry. My husband's doing other things, but what, and my daughters, but what I'm saying is, there's some things that are laid aside in order for me to go to school, but school right now, like just being in school and giving time to my family just saps my energy. Uh, Even though I am doing some other things, I do have a, this book coming out soon. There's that. Yeah. So I think that energy level, I don't really know what it's like to be someone else, but (laughs) I think that energy level is something that I've really learned and I'm paying attention to. We could be talking to Jenny. I'm telling you, well, what I love is Jenny that be- is my our, my second daughter. Mm-hmm. So she was on the podcast whenever she was on the podcast, <clears throat> and she's a nine with an eight wing. Mm. And it seems like just on average, that's not the norm, right? And so hearing, I'm already super grateful that you've said everything that you said because it talks to a lot of questions that people ask. People want to hear from. They're like, I think. This is me. And especially people, this is the Enneagram Journey podcast, not the Road Back to You podcast, but people when they're trying to figure out their Enneagram number and they are a nine with an eight wing, it can it seems like it's confusing for them. But one thing that you brought up that I would like to hear you talk about is those things draining your energy. Do you have a solution for that? Like what is your self-care that you do to protect your energy before Suzanne talks about nines being externally and internally boundaried uh what does marlena do to protect your energy and that gives you energy to do all those to do all the things that you have to do because you as you've described there's there's a lot going on yeah um so interesting well you know and and one thing real quick is another writer on twitter ashley hales Hales, i think i got this right she called me a velvety firecracker (laughs) And I'm like, you know, and I have friends, other friends like, Marlena, you're so gentle and patient. And I feel inside, I'm like, "Ah," you know, like when when, against injustice, right. Or other things. Um, But the energy levels, I actually, I mean, this is right on like real time for me. I'm thinking about like social media, you know, as writers, they, want you to be on social media, but I also like, like, I love Twitter and I like engaging ideas and talking to other people. Um, but I noticed like, I can't stay on with school too long or I get tired, you know, like social media drains me mm-hmm. of my energy. Do mm-hmm. so, you know, concentrating and reading drives me, uh, drains me of energy. Sometimes depending on what the environment is in the world, like I did a lot when children were separated from families, I like organized a bunch of Christian women across the nation, um, starting with writers and whatever in 2000, I think it was 18 
or 19 when uh, that first went, uh, when they were, when that became public. And so I have like these, I don't know, activist moments <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, it takes all my time, attention, and it takes a lot out of me, but I do it because I'm like, this is right. This is what's right. And I would feel that I'm not living the way that God wants me to live if I were to be silent. Now, I can't do everything. I know that as a nine or as a person, like there's stuff that I do have to say nine or excuse me, I have to say no to. And I comfort myself in knowing that I have other friends or people that are working in that. And if I can give financially, I'll try. But um, I think learning about those boundaries and I, I'm curious to see what you you say, Suzanne, and what Joel mentioned is um, I, you know, I have silence Um I take baths, you know, yeah, I take yeah. baths because I'm like in the bath, I can read, I can be quiet, the waters, you know, and also um, lim- given by how we're limited, you know, I live in really cold weather right now. I can't go out a lot to go on walks. I go on walks in nature and I limit uh, social media to help keep me going. Yep. Um, I think to every now and then I'll take a nap, but that's, yeah, every now and then I will take a nap, but those are mostly what I do. I feel like I don't have a lot of time to take a nap, but, but that's what I'll do to, or, you know, I'll talk to a friend. Sure. But I think what's most for me, what I love to do is be out in nature. Yes. That's typical nine. Yeah. So that's like my go-to if I could do that. But, um, and obviously conflict makes me exhausted and there's lots of conflict in the world. I mean, forget like any conflict of my own. And I think a, a lot of us are exhausted from it. Maybe it's more for nines. So I have to mute uh, social media and the news sure. for a while so I can just recover. My life is like contemplation and action. I'm like quiet silence and solitude for a while. And then I go back out and act on a big, bigger scale, but even on a daily scale. Yeah. Well, first of all, you said my life is like, is contemplation and action, which I think is so interesting that CAC is action and, and contemplation. contemplation. And you mm-hmm. said, I don't know, just maybe something there to that. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Enneagram there is a whole thing about being contemplative in order to go into the world and being in the world to know what you need to be the contemplative com- about, yeah. right? The thing you talked about in terms of... Um, Something Joel mentioned that I often say is I I think nines are boundaried internally and externally. And they try to keep in anything that would cause conflict. And they try to keep out anything that would steal their peace. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And in in terms of um, family separation and all of the horrific stories that are a part of that story, Joe's a nine. And he was in the first group to go into, um, do you remember what camp that was? I don't. The one on the, the Texas, Texas border. Texas border. Is it the Matamoros camp? No, Terlingua, Terlingua camp. It was that, okay. I think that's where it was. Maybe. I don't, that's a maybe. But anyway, Joe and uh, there was a county judge who goes to our church who wanted to take an interfaith group. Mm-hmm. And it it was run by a certain denomination, and they got permission to get in. And Joe was uh, along in part because he's bilingual. Mm-hmm. And coming back from that three days, I would say that I have never observed him more contemplative, 
more prayerful. And I've never watched it take that long for him to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because he does not have a strong eight wing. Okay. And so I think it's a good thing to talk about in relationship to that. And I didn't know it till you talked about what you did. But I think when you have a, a strong eight wing, then you have the energy and the force to address things and deal with the conflict later. And nines that don't have a big eight wing have to deal with the conflict as it happens. It also seems like a a muscle that gets exercised. If you're a nine with an eight wing, because that's what, that's one of the notes that I've got written down here that I wanted to talk about how you talked about how conflict really exhausts you. Mm -hmm. And you talked about all the different ways that you feel it necessary to engage in conflict. Uh, because of justice and because, mm-hmm. you know, this is right, this is wrong, all the things. To go with this example, is it true, do you think, Mom, that the Reverend comes back as a nine with an eight wing, it would not have taken him as long to bounce back from that exhaustion mm-hmm. because he he's done 60-plus years of doing that. Yes. And so that's why, that's why it's different. I think that's exactly right, and I think it, you cannot go see children in those circumstances mm-hmm. and not have it affect every part of you. And then for somebody who's doing repressed and doing dominant, which nines are, it's like there's this rise in him, and I'm sure you, Marlena, to do something. Yeah. And the limitations were extreme in terms of what you could do. And un- unhealthy Joel Seven would have slept for a week. A month? Uh, I mean, would have just, yeah, would have just fallen asleep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Marlena, you wrote in Avoiding Conflict on day five. I don't think we're going to get to 40 days, but on day five, you wrote, and and I told you then that I thought it was solid gold, and I absolutely stand by that. You said, now granted, I've been told by those who don't know my insides well that I have the patience of Job. It's not true. I think it's more that I have a slow fuse. Mm -hmm. I lived with Joe Stabile for a lot of years before I could could see the slow fuse because it had never been named for me. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear you talk about your slow fuse, and then we may want to add to that. Okay. Well, you know, I could give an example from when I was in college. Um, the person may be different at this time. I don't ever know who's <laughs> going to hear these podcasts. Nor do so, I. <laughs> so I will, with that caveat, freshman in college, throwing water at me, on me at like three o'clock in the morning or just like things that girls do in junior high. And I. Notably not college. <laughs> yeah. I talked to my resident assistant, you know, I went through all the things like, Hey, you know, I like this person, you know, they're fine, but like they're doing all these types of junior high antics, all sorts of trips, like, I don't know, booby traps and just things that, you know. Sounds awful. Annoying, annoying things. Yeah. And just constantly. And so I said, Hey, you know, maybe funny the first time, not funny to me, but can we do something? And, And even just approaching, like getting to the point, 
you know, I was like 18 or 19 years old, think of a nine because there's conflict there. I I took it for a long time. (laughs) Then I (laughs) got to the point, I'm like, okay, I can't, I have to approach the RA. And I didn't want to make my roommate look bad. I just wanted to tell the truth, right? But I I took it a lot longer, I think, than maybe another number would, or the another number would be like, boom, you know, just let it all out. Or maybe me now, or, you know, at eight, like, stop. And I think I did say, you know, hey, can you not? But so I talked to the RA and um, other people are like, oh, I am so glad, Marlena, she's your roommate, because I wouldn't have been able to take it. Because oh. like, she started doing stuff in the hallway too. And I just think she just didn't know how to socially relate on certain levels. Her little tricks were her way of relating. I think maybe she wanted friendship or something like that. And I'm sure she's, you know, more mature and awesome now, but, um, (laughs) so she's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So they would say like, you have the patience of Job. Like, there's no way I would have put up with this ever. And I can't believe it. And they said, God must have wanted you to be her roommate because they, God knew that you could take it. <laughs> like, I was like, okay. But um, I'm like, I'm not feeling that way because inside I'm like really angry. Like, you better watch out. Like, hit me on the wrong time. I'm scared. And I think other nines have said this. Like, I w- will just explode. And I, I, I talk, I think I talk about in the book too, or maybe it's my other book, but I talk about like, I was going back to school, whatever. I had this huge thing and conflict. There was a lot of stress. And one day I blew up at my husband and I'm like, when I call that like a Mount St. Like volcanic eruption. Yeah. Yeah, You called it Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius. Yeah, Vesuvius. Yes. A Vesuvius eruption. I remember it. Right. Because it's not common, but I, every now and then there have been eruptions in my life over the years with my husband or my girls. And I have to say, look, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That was wrong. I let anger get the best of me, but that doesn't mean it's easy for them because it might be hurtful. Sure, so sure. You know, say things you don't mean and say hurtful things. And so I have to start as a nine, I've had to start to say, Hey, this is not okay. So I don't have those kind of uh, Vesuvius volcanic eruptions that do more damage than if I would have said earlier, Hey, can you knock it off? Yeah. Um, I think nines just don't take care of themselves early enough. Yes. And then sometimes they don't go back and take care of themselves. So when Joe was a young, he used to be a Catholic priest. And when he was a young priest, uh, he was here in Dallas and somebody, um, his superior, like the provincial, the big guy Mm -hmm. in the Vincentian fathers for his area came to do a yearly review with him. So he drove from Houston to Dallas, which is about five hours. And he said all these things to Joe, and then he went back to Houston. And three days later, Joe called and said, I need you to meet me halfway Mm. because I need to talk to you. And they met, and Joe said, these two things or whatever it was are true, and I'm working on those. These five things, not true. Mm. And I can't walk away from that without defending myself. And I think that nines get to that point, but they, you know, according to Rizzo and Hudson, I really respect these childhood messages. And they say that the childhood message for nines is it's not okay to assert yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think you guys feel like you have to put up with that roommate or you have to receive whatever was said in an evaluation because you don't believe it's okay to assert yourself on some kind of cellular level without mm-hmm. thinking it through. 
And then it's hard for you to go back and assert yourself because you would have to believe that your presence matters enough that you have the right to do that. Yeah. I think you're, I think, yeah, nines take too long. I think you're right. We normally take too long to do these things. I'm starting to get better at that, but I admire other numbers that are like, just, they will just strike. I don't know what, what what a nine would call striking right back. (laughs) Just say, Hey, you know, that, that was awful. That sucks. Don't be so rude, you know, to someone else. And I'm like, always thinking about the other person. I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know, that kind of. And, but then again, then it's me who takes whatever the trauma or, or the abuse or Mm -hmm. the disrespect. And I'm also thinking too about Jesus, like loving your enemies too. So all these kind of messages are in there. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it look like to love your enemies? Do I strike back? But I don't think being assertive is the same as being hateful and not unloving. And the nines really got to get that message, I think. I think so, too. Agreed. And you're looking at nineness uh, as a female nine. I am particularly struck, and I wrote you a note about that, about how courageous you were on day four in terms of showing everybody and telling everybody who you are. You know, I think we... Uh, in our journeys kind of find a sweet spot and then we begin to reference just that part of our lives Mm -hmm. and when we reference other parts of our lives it is either with us as a victim or as a victor but not with just this is who I was and this is how life worked for me so I don't know if you remember day four if somebody asked me about you know chapter two of a book I'd written I would just say Oh, the lights are flickering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll need a reminder. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm happy to give you that. The title of it was The Gift of Silence. Mm-hmm. And you wrote, For my soul, a droning TV was like scraping nails on a chalkboard. My mom liked and still likes the television on whether or not she and, I don't know how to say grandmother in Spanish. Yeah, abuelita or abuela. Mm-hmm. Right, abuelita or anyone else is in my family watching it. I suppose it kept her company in the loneliness and isolation, given that my mom went from living in Manhattan and in Puerto Rico to living in rural northwest Pennsylvania, and on the rare occasion that the TV was turned off, the radio was on. Then you Mm -hmm. keep going. Then again, maybe it wasn't the TV per se, but the soap operas and daytime talk-o-drama shows that got under my skin. I had no problem listening to radio preachers at night as early as 10 years old when anxiety over familial issues kept me from sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, very few people have the courage to put that on day four and Uh say, here's who I am. So you want to talk about that a little bit? You know, I am a proponent of, you know, what they say in AA and in the church what Jesus says in John eight, that truth will set you free. And um, so I figured, you know, I'm writing this book to Enneagram nines, people that love Enneagram nines, people that know Enneagram nines are curious about Enneagram nines. And so why uh, put on airs about who I am? I thought that if I was going to do justice and faith to the book. I got to tell the truth about myself. I mean, not in a superfluous or um, 
gratuitous way. You know, there's some things I do keep to myself, but also being a nine, I don't always like to put myself all those details out there. So I wanted to um, practice what I preach and also embody what I think leads to wholeness. Um, doesn't mean that everyone has to write it out in book form or on social media, but I think that's part of who I am, like solitude and silence. And I mean, I guess that would go with the mystical parts of nine, but, you know, even now we don't have a television and we do have, um, you know, computers. And I did get a program where my husband could see like football games or whatever. Um, but my family's gone along with it. We've not had a TV uh, since we've been married, really except one that we could put a DVD player in for my oldest daughter when she was little uh, before everything was on the internet. And um, maybe that's part of it being going back to then. I don't like just the running television in the background. And my husband used to joke that I, before we had children, that our house was like a, a hermitage or a monastery. <laughs> so he <laughs> called it hermit's cave. But yeah, I like, I feel like I need to absorb that silence because life is so, um, I get overstimulated by life. Uh, I, everything's coming at me. So I need a moment to breathe and that's who I am. Then not necessarily that I'm saying others have to be that way, but that really is part of what makes me, me, I think. Okay. Asking for help day 25. I've gotten much better than I used to be at asking for help. I push through the, I feel like a bother mentality. In other words, my presence doesn't matter mentality. And the thing is, I don't mind if people ask me for help. I really don't. Sean and I both are available to people and we'll do what we can within our means and within healthy boundaries to help and to be present. It is a ministry of availability. We make space or rearrange our schedules for others. We find this important, especially in our society where healthy and helpful family members are not always close by. I so love it is a ministry of availability. What I want to know is how you and Sean as a nine and a five determine uh, to whom and when you're going to be available. Well, that's a very prescient question um, because let me too. I think I heard that from one of my seminary students and I just remembered it and I did not even remember it until. So I want to give credit. I think one of my seminary students said that and it didn't even occur to me until right now. Yeah. How do we determine? Well, um, Sean as a five is less available yeah. because of energy levels. Neither than I one am. of you have tons of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, before, you know, when we were young and married, I just like, yeah, come to my house, come have something to eat on the spur of the moment after church. Sean's like, Hey, will you like ask me before you invite people to the house? You know, I might be tired or, I mean, and he has like, yeah, he's like a, a functioning extrovert, but he does also love his, we both love our time. I don't know. Is that not like, it sounds funny. Like we are available to other people, but it's also, we need our own time. I have to be really um, cognizant of his desires about time mm -hmm. and, or he will remind me like, you know, if we do this now, then there's no rest in between. And then, you know, we got to take the girls here. Then. So right. I, like he, he checks me on stuff because I don't think of the, always the consequences of extending that Ministry. invitation at the last right. moment. Right. It's very unusual for a five and a nine to do that, which is why 
it really struck me as, uh, how, how are you doing that? We got an extroverted five and a nine with an eight wing. We're yeah. in a special they, space here. Yeah, he's they not extroverted, in a special though. space. He's a functional extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, functional, but not internally, huh? Yeah, he's yeah. an introvert for sure. And I think I'm an introvert. But I, I maybe is that a gift of God, the spirit? I don't know. I, I know how I want to be received and I want people to feel comfortable. So even if it's not my, even if I'm sometimes tired, I, I try to think about other people. Like, do they feel lonely? Do they feel welcomed? I want them to know. I want them to be known and loved. And if I can contribute to that hospitality in the kingdom, I'll do it. Yeah. So I think that overruns my, the duty of love overruns my natural tendencies maybe. I want to ask you about something that you brought up several times in different ways that is a a big thing for me. One of the things that I've been saying since I got older, I'm 70, is um, I'm old enough that I have less to prove and less to protect. And you have tipped your hat and your hand a couple of times to the fact that growing up in poverty meant that you had less to protect and less to prove. There's all these things that you didn't know you had to measure up to and mm-hmm. and all of that. How, as one who teaches spiritual formation, do you think we can all get to a place where justice trumps, I have less to prove and less to protect? Do you think that's possible? I want to say yes. You do? Okay. And can you talk about how? I think, you know, uh, just remembering, uh, and I've written about this, that many of the last will be first, the greatest in the kingdom will be the servant of all. And looking at the life of Jesus, like in Philippians chapter two, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. I'm like, if I'm going to take Jesus at his word about, uh, and Henry Nowen talks about downward mobility then I, I'm going to, if I'm going to take Jesus as word and about what's most important, then, you know, like money, he said, you can only serve, you can serve, have one master. You can't serve both God and money, which I think the American church, maybe the worldwide church. I mean, we are hung up. We are, we love money, but we don't call it that. We don't like to talk about greed and how money dictates what we won't do or what we will do or who we'll associate with, or God forbid, God asks us more to give more money. So I actually think we can't, but I think it's going to take a um, matter of repentance and a shaking up of our, any number you are, like you said, get to the point where you you don't have anything to prove. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a little bit younger than you, but. um, You're quite a bit younger than me. That was, yeah, I, that was very gracious and lovely of you. (laughs) (laughs) But I, maybe it's that poverty that got to the point, like, I don't have anything to prove. I mean, let me, let's be real. Sometimes I feel like I have something to prove, right? Not, not like, you know, my yeah. language is that, we, that I have less to prove and okay. less to protect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Le- I have, I have less to prove. Um, and I don't know if it's true. You tell me Suzanne, or if you think that maybe as women, or maybe Joel has observed this as women get older, like they say things they might've not say, said it you know, after I turned 40 or I don't know, I was a little bit like, okay, I'm tired of beating around the bush. Let's just call a spade a spade in a nice way. (laughs) You know, like, let's just say, Hey, that's wrong. 
but I think there's kind of a freedom to it or mm-hmm. maybe a nine It's like too energy sapping to worry about what other people are thinking about me all the time. I, maybe it's just the nice way it's too energy draining to worry all the time. I mean, at least for me. So uh, the other yeah. eight numbers, we could just pray that we don't have enough energy. <laughs> I, think- I think it can. And I think it's glorious and beautiful when you see people that they might be very, whatever, from the world's perspective or rich and talent, but they're humble. Yep. They're not, they, they really just care about you. Uh, you don't need to, they're not putting on airs. You don't have to address them like, and treat them like royalty, even though they might be very, and I've seen examples of this, actually people that are, that were in their eighties for people in my church in Rochester who like got presidential medals for their work on in NASA. And I didn't know anything about this right. about them because right. they never put that forth. They just said they were very interested in me. And it was only later that I found out that they were very accomplished people. So I think we can, they didn't say, hi, my name's Chuck. And I got a Kennedy. That's how important I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. An award for this. And then I found out like almost everyone in the church had PhDs. I never knew because that was not what they were talking about. You know, that's very helpful. There's a lot to learn there. Um, what, what do you have to offer us about a, a nine five relationship? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I think I'll speak about myself as a nine. Like, really? I upset you? Me? You know, I'm always so like others reference to a fault. Um, You know, maybe it's our vice of neglect or how it comes out. Like thinking that just because it doesn't bother me, well, you know, like we were talking about earlier about asking people to come over, assuming just because it wouldn't bother me, it shouldn't bother Sean. Yeah. You know, and five... I mean, I've learned this now and he, he sometimes reminds me, we care a lot about being competent. So if, if there's any time that I communicate that he's being incompetent, I need to be careful about that. That's really I'm, an important point right there. That's good. I'm inadvertently communicating that when I'm just saying, you know, could, do you think that you could X, Y, or Z or whatever, but either the tone or the way, if I communicate incompetence, you know, hackles go up for fives. So not to say that we have to like coddle them, but sometimes I think nines, we unknowingly do things and like, we assume that we don't think it's a big deal. We're generally good with people. We're good at reading people. So what, how could I do anything wrong relationally? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to me that two withdrawing numbers have three little girls and that both of you have big jobs in terms of uh, teaching and leading and all of that. Do y'all do kind of a, uh, things are kind of divided and you're responsible for these things and Sean's responsible for these things or how do you, how do you manage both of you being withdrawing and having three girls, 13 and under? So yeah, we, we divide it up. We divide it up or, you know, Sean's taking right now a huge, it's more than 50, 50 because, you know, I'm in class. I have to travel to teach a class do a podcast or do podcasts. My books have come out. And so he's taking a brunt of it, maybe where I would have when they were younger, um, even though he's been equally involved. But um, I think that, and I think, you know, there are just certain days we won't do anything. We're like, we're really tired. Like mommy and daddy are tired. No, we're not going to the store, you know? Uh, But I think 
we also allow each other space. Like I'm not, maybe it's a night. I don't feel like he has to be right next to me all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I know he loves me. He's in the other room. He's doing his thing, reading, watching football, whatever. Um, I don't, and he doesn't have to be, you know, I don't feel like if he's not right up to me, but we, I think our love language, one of our love languages, if I can use those terms is time. And we spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah. Like, right. We're we anti-love language each people other here. to our places and then drive separately. I want you to tell me two things if there's time. What's a really good spiritual practice for nines? And what do you wish people knew about nines? Yes. Um, depending on the nine, right? I think for nines that have a hard time engaging in life, nines that might want to, you know, just go to sleep to life. You know, we all have that and we're known for that. I think for, for those type of nines, you need to engage when you don't feel like it, when you feel like taking a nap, right? So I don't know what that engagement looks like. It might be in a relationship. It might be in a job. Don't take a, don't fall asleep to yourself into life. Know what's going on and why you're trying to pull back. Um, but for nines, maybe with an eight wing or whatever. Yeah. You need to go out in nature and just disengage because you'll become too tired and angry and you won't bring the peace that you want if you're just upset all the time. Great. That's Um, so helpful. Yeah. And, um, what do I wish people knew about nines? I do think we haven't, we didn't talk about this a lot, but you mentioned it that, yeah, we are often rendered invisible or allow ourselves to be rendered invisible. And I do think that we, I don't like it. And, but number, and the other thing is that we can be really good leaders and engaged in a lot of things, but either we take ourselves for granted or allow other people to take us for granted. And maybe you should pay attention to the nines in your life and encourage them with positive feedback. So good. Thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and for your book. It's been such a pleasure to be with you both. You're both gifts. Right back at you. Thank you. That was, that was fantastic. Yeah.